Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. My name is Kevin Senapati-Ratna. I'm so glad you could join us today and that you made an investment in yourself by listening to this conversation to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus because that's really what it's all about. And uh, I have Hal Donaldson, the president of Convoy of Hope. If you're not familiar with Convoy of Hope, they provide disaster relief in some of the most difficult situations, whether it's a hurricane, they come in, whether it's a, you know tornadoes, they come in. And right now in the midst of this COVID-19. They're just bringing food across the country to be a blessing to, to people in need. I have a goal. You know, we talk about 10 million meals to be provided, uh, and they're known for their trucks. They're the, the big convoy of hope on the side of a semi that come into a difficult situation, and uh, you may have seen those pictures on you know, Instagram or Facebook, and they just come in and be a blessing to people in need. Uh, over 130 million people since their founding in 1994. And I got a chance to talk with Hal Donaldson, the president and founder of this organization. And he started out as an author. Uh, That's kind of his story. where you know he's an author of 30 books, including Disruptive Compassion, Becoming the Revolutionary You Were Born to Be, and your and also your next 24 hours, the uh, one day of uh, kindness can change everything. And out of that, God moved in His heart to uh, start Convoy. And we talk about points along His journey uh, that helped Him and encouraged Him along the way, and kind of the process uh, that brought about Convoy. That I think will be an encouragement to you as you look at your own story and allow uh, God to move in you and then ultimately through you because that's what it's all about to be a blessing to other people uh, he has all sorts of awards he's a, uh, a husband and father uh, but I think you're going to enjoy these moments that as we talk about uh, kind of what God has formed in him and God how God kind of intersected his life at various points to make convoy what it is today so without fa- further ado my conversation with Hal Donaldson all right, Hal, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you, Kevin. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, as we were talking before we started, I, I like to start off somewhere in left field uh, in our uh, conversation okay. <laughs> uh, because uh, uh, it's just fun. Uh, we'll get to Convoy of Hope at some point in this conversation. Yeah, no, I'm, up, I'm up for that. No, that'll be fun. Uh, uh, I w- in episode number one of this podcast, we had Lee Grady. Uh, and so I vaguely mentioned or recalled that he had mentioned something about you. So I texted him and he, he said, all right, you got to ask him about their, your first time meeting in Colorado. He said, and I, I don't know what you, you never start <laughs> yes. off probably, but he said, this is going to be a good question. So I'll start there. How uh, do you guys meet? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he, he was the editor of Charisma Magazine. I was the editor of the Pentecostal Evangel Magazine. And uh, so we knew of one another, but we'd really never uh, gotten acquainted. And so we just agreed that when we went to this writing conference, this publishing conference, that we were going to get to know each other. And when we arrived, we really hit it off. I mean, Lee is just, he's one of those guys that you just, you, you just love him immediately. And uh, so I can't remember if it was he or me. Uh, one of us said, um, hey, why don't we skip tonight's session 
and why don't we just hang out? And so uh, I can't even tell you, Kevin, whether it was my room or his room, um, but um, we just started talking and we began to pray for one another. And uh, what happened next is one of those experiences that, uh, you know, um, I, I haven't talked a lot about, quite honestly, because it's uh, to some people, they would consider it spooky. Uh, but um, all I can tell you is that uh, the presence of, uh, of the Lord was there in a very real way. And um, we began, uh, I guess, seeing some things uh, about each other and about our lives. And um, there was a, a clear presence of the Lord. Um, maybe I'll just put a period on that. But it, it was, it was life-changing for, I think, both him and me. Uh, he began to prophesy about some things he saw for me, and I did the same for him. And, um, you know, for, I would say, for the next uh, 48 hours, um, he and I, I don't think we attended many sessions, uh, just because we were, um, we were just in a different place. Uh, uh, we just were so moved and transformed. Um uh, and uh, so that's one of the great memories of my life, actually. Wow. That, that, that is an awesome place to start a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That uh, leaves one of those, uh, those people that, I mean, he's had a deep impact on my life uh, for many years now. And uh, we text uh, almost weekly. So, uh, oh, is that right? Uh, it's a well, greet him for me. I love him. Love him uh, dearly. Now, I. I Another person that we have in common that I wanted to start with uh, is Colton Wickramaratna, uh, and he, uh, you, from my research, and actually I've read the book, uh, uh, My Adventure in Faith, uh, mm -hmm. you, uh, you're, you're listed on there as part author, or author, or I don't yeah. know how that would work there. Now, just for your reference, uh, Colton and my grandfather went to Bible college together in Sri Lanka uh, wow. and, are, and we're close friends. I mean, uh, like Colton spoke at my uh, grandparents' 50th, uh, uh, you know, wedding anniversary uh, I mean, close, uh, and his son, Deshaun, uh, is uh, married to my cousin. So, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. so, so there's a lot, there's a long, long history there. Uh, yes. uh, I'm setting up my question here. That's a little bit longer, but uh, because uh, that, I mean, we were even, if we ever had a, you know, we only have one daughter, but if we were going to have a son, it was going to be Colton. That was, that was the deal there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, having uh, written with him and uh, anything you take away from his life that uh, you know, kind of stood the test of time here? Yes. Uh, yeah, that was a, a, a very meaningful experience to be able to spend time with him, you know, hours and hours with him. Uh, and Deshaun uh, was uh, um, a student uh, and a peer at Bethany University. And so uh, Deshaun and I became best friends. Deshaun to this day serves on our board of directors. Uh, he and I have done ministry together all over the world. And uh, so he introduced me to his father and his father wanted a book written. And so Deshaun and I decided to tag team it. And uh, the two of us wrote his uh, uh, biography, if you will. And uh, just the hours uh, with him, uh, his uh, courage, his faith, obviously his story is incredible, 
but I remember him coming to uh, Springfield, Missouri, and uh, Convoy of Hope was just getting started. And uh, Colton, I, I was driving in the car with Colton and Deshaun, and uh, Deshaun said, tell my dad uh, what you feel like God is uh, wanting you to accomplish and what he's wanting you to do. And uh, I began to really just share the vision of Convoy of Hope. And, um, you know, Colton said, uh, it will become bigger than you ever dreamt. Uh, it is going to be uh, something that will be global. It will reach millions of people. Um, how uh, don't let loose of that dream because God is in it. And, uh, you know, so he was a great encourager, encourager to me, for sure. And for the audience, I definitely recommend you, you have a look at uh, my adventure in faith. With, uh, uh, I, was one, I was looking through my notes and it was uh, uh, my wife and I read part of that together. Uh, as uh, I, I, I read it out loud to her parts of it. So that's Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, all right, one more and then we'll get to Convoy. Uh, and this may actually set up kind of part of your story, but uh, you wrote a couple of books with the Bontains, if I, yes, uh, yes. Uh, and they're famous missionaries to India, uh, for those who aren't familiar with that. Uh, and you wrote books on both of them, if I'm... Uh, yes, correct. That's uh, correct. What are some of the, ta uh, from those legendary missionaries, what was some of the takeaways for you from them? Yeah, in my most recent book, uh, Disruptive Compassion, I I talk, I have spent a whole chapter talking about my um, encounters, conversations with Mark and Olda Bontain. Uh, I was in my, uh, I guess my late twenties and uh, I met Mark. Uh, uh, I was teaching and taking classes at Bethany University and I met him and, you know, deeply spiritual man. And uh, he just uh, points his finger at me and he says, um, you're supposed to write my next book. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, here's this incredible man of God. You, you don't want to in any way, uh, um, disobey what, what he believes God's saying. And so, uh, next thing I know, I'm on a flight to Calcutta, India and, um, and to spend time with, uh, both he and Holda and to begin preparation. I think I wrote four books for them in all. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that was so transformational. Um, I I remember. In fact, I told their daughter and son-in-law this story just a couple months ago. That I remember uh, in my late twenties, I'm walking across the compound there in Calcutta with Mark, and all the children come running toward him, and um, obviously he's just picking them up. He's uh, kissing them on the forehead and doing all the things that uh, Mark would do just to. Uh, uh, just let children know they're loved. And uh, I remember being there in the compound, just stepping back and watching this take place. And um, I, I, I said, God, this is amazing and amazing. Um, if you could ever use me to do something like this, um, I would be most grateful. Again, that was a prayer I prayed in my 20s before Convoy of Hope started. And I prayed something very specific, Kevin. I, I prayed that God would do this, this, and this, and those things came to pass. But that prayer was prayed right there. But I think it was um, there in Calcutta where I, I learned probably the, one, of, one of the most valuable lessons of my life. And that's that, um, you know, um, the foundation of any 
uh, ministry, great ministry begins in the heart. And uh, when I got the condition of my heart in the right place, uh, that's when God could do a work through my hands. But it begins with the heart. And I learned that from Mark and Hulda. Uh, going off of that, how, if someone was listening to this, how would you, you talk about the condition of the heart? Uh, you know, how, how does a person prepare their heart for God to use them? Yes, I'll tell you how I did it. Uh, so coming back from Calcutta the first time, um, I, uh, I felt led to read a chapter from the Gospels every day. And I did that for about a year and a half, uh, 18 months. Every day I would read a new chapter and, you know, you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and then start all over again. And what that showed me is that my life was not measuring up to the life of Jesus. And, uh, you know, God began to just reveal, reveal some things in my life that were uh, contrary to the life of Jesus. And, um, you know, I would take uh, notes on every chapter. I would just things God was speaking to me about, almost like journaling. And, um, you know, it was that time that I was giving the Lord every day uh, that really began to change me, change who I was. So that's one of the things I would encourage people to do. But I, I do think there are some, some things that you can do. One is you, you need to pray the prayer, God, use me where you need me most. Use me where you need me most. And once you pray that prayer, you've just taken the ceiling off what God can do in your life. Um, and you know, rather than dictating to God where you want him to take you or what you want him to do, just say, God, use me where you need me. And you know, I, I started to pray that prayer. Um, I began, uh, I stopped trying to dictate to God uh, his will for my life, his plan for my life. Um, said, God, wherever, you just take me, use me wherever. So I think that's really important. I think another factor that's really underestimated is the whole issue of humility. Um, I, I really think that sometimes we confuse um, arrogance for strength. Uh, arrogance is not strength. Arrogance is weakness. And the Lord just really began to show me after spending time with Mark and Hulda and other great leaders, uh, the importance of humility, because humility is really, you're saying, I am relying on the Lord. He is my strength. I am nothing in myself. He is everything. And God, just take this piece of clay, this worthless piece of, piece of clay, and use, use me where you need me most. Those are some of the things that I did, Kevin, just to really, I think, position my heart so that God could do something. And was it during that time or was it still a while after that that uh, Convoy of Hope was started? Yeah, it was a, probably, it was a journey. Uh, it was about maybe a three, uh, three or four year journey for me. And in the middle of all that, that I would say that spiritual formation period, uh, I was praying in my office and I felt like God asked me to do something quite unusual, to uh, travel to eight cities in the United States and to live in the streets for three days and three nights, uh, to go to Miami, Atlanta, Chicago, DC, New York, major cities, and to uh, walk the streets with a hidden tape recorder, interviewing drug addicts and gang members, prostitutes, runaways, and the homeless. And um, I rode with the police on the midnight shift in each of those cities. and. You know, one of the things I talk about in my book is the importance of reconnaissance. Uh, we have to break out of the bubble. We have to go to places sometimes in order for God to really show us need. And um, 
that's what happened to me over that three or four year period where God was really forming me into a different person, moving me from being a Pharisee to being a follower of Jesus Christ. It was during that period of time that my heart was broken in the streets of America. I saw pain and suffering unlike anything I'd ever witnessed before. And um, God had to break my heart, and he did. Do you think people who God puts a vision in their heart sometimes rush the process then? I mean, you're talking about three or four years there uh, that they try and get to the end way too early? Or yeah, that just your journey? No, that, I think that's very true because, you know, um, a lot of times people, when they accept Christ and they become a follower of Jesus, they assume that it's just going to be uh, one miracle, one blessing after another, and there won't be any pain in their suffering or suffering. And that's one of the things that I learned in that three or four year period was uh, that um, the Christian walk is uh, a rhythm of both uh, pain and suffering, uh, hardship and miracles. That's our life. That's what Jesus shows us in the Gospels, that um, you're going to go through hardship. It's part of it. But God is going to answer that hardship with miracles. And, uh, and that's what happened. I, I, I think I became unafraid of pain and suffering. I think you, you know, you, uh, many people are on a quest to avoid any suffering, any pain, any hardship at any cost. And what they've just done is, they have minimized the number of miracles that God can do as, do in their life. And that's what he began to show me is don't be afraid of the hardship, but have a greater anticipation for miracles. And so what was, what was kind of those first, so you, you're going through this three or four year process. What's kind of the first steps of saying, of acting, of convoy, kind of the early days, yeah. what would those, those have looked like then? Yeah. So, you, you know, I've, I've witnessed a lot of pain. I've been around people like Mark and Holda uh, and others who um, people like, um, you know, Tommy Barnett and um, great men of God and women of God. And, um, you know, I've seen the need and I, I just got to the point where I had to do something. Um, doing something was better than doing nothing. And so I, I took $300 uh, and I bought $300 worth of groceries, uh, loaded them into the back of a pickup truck, went into a needy area in Northern California and just began passing out groceries to families in need. And um, it was, that was really the beginning of Convoy of Hope. Um, you know, I, Kevin, I, I, I believe that when you pray that prayer I was talking about earlier, when you pray, God, use me where you need me most. Um, and it takes the ceiling off. I think um, I was praying that prayer. And I think as a result, my mission found me. I didn't have to really go looking for it as much as it found me. And um, I, uh, so I, I passed out those groceries and I felt such fulfillment and joy that I wanted to do it again. And I wanted to invite my friends and my family to do it with me. And you know, in time, we, it grew from a pickup truck to box truck to semi-trucks, and the rest of it is history, fleet of semi-trucks, you know, around the world and warehouses around the world. But um, it began with one pickup truck. I want to go back to that in a second, but just as to hear you describe, if you were 
introducing someone again in the intro will give the you know the kind of the the high level but if you were meeting someone for the first time and they asked so what is convoy of hope but how, how do you describe it yeah um i'll give you the elevator pitch how's that <laughs> uh yeah you know i i uh it's uh, in the u.s and we do uh disaster response we do that around the world uh, but we also do community outreaches and uh, this is where we bring together churches of different denominations. Uh, we have a full menu of services that we offer, free medical and dental care, job fairs, shoes for children, free haircuts, uh, breast cancer screenings, um, just a number of, of offerings. And uh, they, they will attract thousands of people on a weekend, thousands. And um, we'll mobilize the church by having uh, a thousand plus volunteers who are serving. And... Uh, you know, so we do that in the States. Um, internationally, we have three prongs that they work together, uh, three pillars, if you will. Uh, one is children's feeding. We feed 300,000 children a day in schools around the world. Um, we uh, train thousands of mothers every year and help them start their own businesses. And we help thousands of farmers through training increase their yields. So uh, in a nutshell, that's what Convoy of Hope does. Big picture, we're about, um, mobilizing the church for ministry. Uh, everything we do is through the local church, but we're also about tearing down the walls between churches, businesses, civic groups, and government. Uh, we don't have a monopoly on compassion. We all wanna make our communities a better place to live. Now going back to, you, you took the truck out and you, that $300 was spent. Uh, what, what, what's kind of the timeline between uh, that well maybe I'll, let me set up the question because one of my beliefs is there's a lot of other probably convoy of hope people out there that are uh how god's put a dream in them and they uh you know the, the next teen challenge the next uh those types of there's people out there but they may take a truck out and uh, they have this uh, idea of something that uh, they want to uh, maybe you know it's just it's, they do something and then it doesn't go from there to, to obviously you're way down the road there what is kind of those next steps that people or that you took to get to where even where how long till it became an organization does that make sense absolutely it's a great question um you know i really believe that vision tends to be incremental um so that God will show you one step, you're obedient to that one step, and then he shows you the next step. And you're obedient to that step, he'll show you the next step. Um, I, I never set out to start a, uh, a nonprofit charity relief organization. That never was uh, in my mindset. It was, it was more about helping people and doing what Jesus was compelling me to do. Uh, the organization came much later out of necessity because it was growing. God was blessing it. And, you know, I think I, I, think I took on the posture that, um, hey, I'm just going to do the next kind thing, next kind thing that God puts in front of me. And when I, when I began to do that, um, he began to bring structure to it and, uh, and vision to it. And so I think the moral of the story is just do the right thing the next right thing, and uh, watch what God will do through it. Now, along the way, I think one of the great miracles of Convoy is how God 
brought uh, hundreds and thousands of people. We have over 100,000 volunteers uh, every year. And how God has brought people from so many different walks of life to link arms with us so that this went from being just this small ministry, uh, valuable, but small, uh, to being a movement. That, to me, is one of the greatest miracles of Convoy of Hope, how he's called people from all walks of life to do something that's really important to him, and that's to help hurting people. Do you think it's uh, people have gotten involved mostly because they've heard the story of Convoy and they, they gravitated to it? Or how is most people, do they connect with Convoy that way? Yeah, I, I think, I think uh, that people want to do something significant with their lives. Uh, they don't always know what to do. And um, they want their lives to count. They, they want to help hurting people. Um, and they're just looking for a track to run on. And I think that's one of the things that God's given Conway of Hope is a track that people can live out what they know is uh, something that Jesus wants them to do. And you're currently, at the time of this recording, you're currently in a massive, uh, I think it's 10 million meal uh, challenge. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what, what's going on right now? Yeah. Uh, so uh, when COVID-19 really uh, hit and people began losing their jobs and children started losing their school lunches, uh, we, uh, we said, well, let's distribute 10 million meals through churches um, across the country. And so we just let a word out to our, our network saying, hey, we're going to uh, be distributing the food. And if your church has an interest in being a distribution point, let us know. Um, Kevin, in, in a, a matter of days, we, we had um, over a thousand churches that were requesting truckloads of food and supplies. And uh, it's been pretty amazing um, to see how churches have turned their parking lots into uh, distribution centers, compassion centers. And uh, you know we're, we do it very safely. Uh, we have a, a pod system where people stay in their car, they drive through the church parking lot and they pop their trunk. We pray for people. We um, stick the food and supplies in their trunk and uh, let them know that Jesus loves them. Um, so, you know, we do that. And, um, you know, it, it thrills me to tell you that we're really close to, uh, I think this close to uh, 20 million uh, wow. meals. Um, and, uh, you know, people have just said, you know, how long is this going to go? And I, I just say, well, um, as long as there's a need. Uh, because the line of cars at the distribution spots uh, has been like um, two miles long. Uh, the, the need, the pictures are unreal. And um, I've been so pleased to see how the national media, local media, um, even our, our government officials have taken notice of the church during this time and the church that has a capacity for doing amazing things. Now, I'm sure you get stories, I mean, a 20 million, uh, you get stories coming back. Uh, any any from these 20 million meals, any favorite stories that have uh, of the impact on that that come to mind? Yeah, there are. Uh, so we've heard so many stories of people that uh, their cupboards were bare. Uh, so many people who, uh, you know, were uh, unsure where to turn, what to do. 
And um, so that, that's been very moving to me. And we have some of those on video and, and you know, when they come back to us. Um, I've also been really moved by the number of uh, hundreds of them, uh, the news reports from around the country, local news stories, reporting on the good. And they'll typically interview someone to tell their story. And, um, uh, you know, time after time, we've heard that people didn't know where to turn and uh, they were led to a church right. and the church reached out to them. And so there's so many stories like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, single mothers, um, people who've lost their, their jobs and uh, people on welfare. Uh, it, you know, it's just been very moving, very, very emotional, quite honestly. Hey. And we'll we'll come back uh, at the end to you know, how people can get involved. I want to have you give them all the uh, all the info on how how that. But let's uh, let's jump for a moment to your your book, Disruptive Compassion: uh, yeah. uh, Becoming the Revolutionary You Were Born to Be. Uh, if you could pull one step, and then we've already talked about some of those uh, yeah. already, but uh, something that we haven't covered: one step that someone could be towards uh, becoming a revolutionary. Anything come to mind as far as a good next step? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, the book came about, I'll tell you this first, uh, the book came about, I was speaking at the University of Missouri and afterwards they had an open microphone where students could come up and ask anything they wanted. And what I heard that, that day was um, students saying, I want my life to count. I, I want to do something to make the world a better place. I don't know what to do. So how do I get started? And so just, you know, just uh, leaving that night, I thought how amazing it would be to create a playbook, to write a playbook for someone who wants to take their life from where they are and they, they really want to make a difference in the world. And so um, that's what the book is. The whole book is just a playbook, how to take your life where you are and to have a greater impact on the world. Well, um, yeah, one, one thing I would incur, I encourage people to do is to um, write a bucket list, but a different type of bucket list. Um, you know, when I think I wrote my bucket list when I was 50, my children wrote theirs when they were 12. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's become a, a bucket list generation because of the internet. They really, the world is their stage. And, uh, you know, I encourage people to write a different kind of bucket list, though. Um, Write, write all of the things you want to do with your life. I mean, you know, I want to go uh, climb Mount Everest. I want to go to Antarctic. I mean, go ahead and put those things down. But then add to it the things that with God's favor and his help that you would like to do for God. And um, so that's just one thing. And the second thing, second part of that is to write a manifesto, a manifesto, a personal manifesto uh, saying these are the kind of priorities I want to have, and this is the kind of person I want to be. And so um, I really believe in writing things out for you to see, but also for God to see. I think you send a message to the Lord when you actually take the time to write it out. Hey, two things on that. One, my, I think my daughter uses the bucket list. She's 13. She uses a bucket list as a, a strategy to get me to do what she wants. She's like, <laughs> she's like that, that's on my bucket list. Yeah. You didn't even know that existed till five seconds ago. So that's, <laughs> that's <right. awesome>. <laughs> I don't know that that helps me a lot, but you know, it, it gets stuff going. Yeah. But do you go uh, 
back to that man, your own manifesto and your own bucket list and update that often, or is that kind of been a is that kind of a static thing for you? Yeah, the the bucket list has been um, it's probably evolved a little bit um, because um, I've been able to do some of those things, and uh, so when you take one thing off, you put one thing on, <laughs> you know. So. Uh, you know, and uh, the manifesto itself is, um, which is in the book, is um, is something that I try to live by. It's just, it's something that's been unchanged for a while. It's something I try to live by. Uh, anything uh, else? Is that, if, if people were uh, going to engage your books, because you have 30 books, uh, is it, would that be the one to start with? Was that where you'd recommend they, they begin? Yeah, I think there's two books that I would begin with. One, um, one is uh, called Your Next 24 Hours, which is really, it really challenges people to a life of kindness. Uh, that was published by Baker, uh, available on Amazon. Um, and then Disruptive Compassion would be the second book I'd recommend. Um, that's uh, more geared toward uh, followers of Christ, and um, it's published by HarperCollins Zondervan. And available as well through Amazon or Barnes and Noble. So, um, anyway, yeah, those two books would be the ones I'd recommend. The, the, the challenge of being an author of thirty books, I guess, is <laughs> you got you no. got to guide people somewhere. You know. <laughs> well, some of those, Kevin, are bad books. They're <laughs> bad books. They're bad books, and so uh, you wouldn't want to recommend them. I, I don't know about that, but you did say you were trying to be humble, so we'll, we'll, we'll let you. Uh, I, I, we'll get uh, my, to my random one more random question. I heard you say in preparation, in when I was doing my research for this conversation, uh, about being a journalist in Afghanistan. Uh, now, yeah. I, I, I can't quite leave that one alone. Oh, what was that like, and what's the story behind that? Yeah. Um. So uh, we were, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I should tell this whole story, so I'll, I'll tell maybe <laughs> a little bit. Uh, um, we, um, we made our way into Afghanistan um, through Uzbekistan, and um, it, there were a lot of uh, mortars, there were a lot of uh, landmines, and so we, we loaded up into Jeeps and we rode in about 12 hours, um, and our jeeps had to um, follow like uh, creek and riverbeds uh, in order to make sure that we uh, were safe and you couldn't go on the roads. And um, so en route, um, one of our missionary guides uh, told us that there was um, some people up in a, a village. And um, Afghanistan, um, you think of desert, but it also has very high peaks. And um, so the Jeeps uh, made their way to the top. And when we got to the top, um, it was snowing in Afghanistan. It was snowing. And so here you have children that are standing barefooted in snow and their faces are purple, you know. And um, so the chief comes over, greets us in this one village. And he begins to tell us his story, how a number of people in the village had died uh, because, um, they didn't have food. And uh, he pointed to a hillside. Even now, this is emotional for me. He, he pointed to a hillside, and all you saw on this hillside was mound after mound after mound of people from their village who had died. 
Um, and uh, he told us that he feared more would die because they had to eat their seed in order to survive. And now they had nothing to grow. Um, and uh, so in my book, Disruptive Compassion, I tell that story about how on the way down that mountain, how I had a pretty um, uh, candid, uh, honest conversation with God because I couldn't understand how a loving God could allow um, all these children to die. And uh, my heart was broken. Um, and um, then we sent food and supplies to them and helped them get through this terrible winter. But um, that's something I won't forget. Yeah, that, that's stayed with me a long time. Uh, it, it seems like, uh, I mean, just God was preparing each step of the way. God was preparing uh, you for what you're doing. You, uh, you were a writer, journalist, and but God was maybe setting you up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, Kevin, I was, I don't know if you know this part of my story, but, you know, I was raised, my father was hit by a drunken driver when I was 12. Um, you know, and so when people ask me, uh, hey, uh, when did Convoy Vote begin? I, I say, well, that night that my father was killed, that's when Convoy began. Because um, that night, you know, my father didn't have insurance. The man who hit him didn't have insurance. My mom was in the car and she was injured to the point that she couldn't work for many, many months, uh, many broken bones, internal injuries. Um, and, um, you know, so our family was forced to survive on welfare. And um, I think God was working in my heart way back then uh, because, you know, I did. I experienced the shame of poverty, uh, you know, going to, to stores with, um, with food stamps in my hand. Um, not having the nicest clothes, holes in my shoes. Um, I, I had that experience. Um, so I experienced the shame of poverty, but I also experienced the power of kindness. And uh, I was able to connect the dots between the kindness of others to the goodness of God. I made that leap. And um, I think that the Lord really instilled in me at a young age, how much he loved me and how he had a plan for my life. And there was a man, a, a friend of my father's who once he saw that I was hurting. And one day he just kind of threw his arm around my shoulder and he said, Hey, how listen to me. Um, don't allow the tragedy of your youth to become a lifelong excuse because where you start in life doesn't have to dictate where you end. And as a teenager, those words stuck with me. So Yes, I do believe I do believe it was in God's plan. I, I believe He allowed my father's death, and that He had even a greater purpose. Hey, I'm going to highlight one thing with that. Uh, and the, that person who put that arm around your shoulder uh, probably had no idea the long-term impact uh, that you know. And we uh, we sometimes go about our days and uh, just thinking that we're making an sending an encouraging text or send, uh, sending an email to be an encouragement and who knows the long-term, uh, how God uses that in people's stories. <laughs> it's so true. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I remember the woman who uh, saw that I had holes in my shoes and she took me to a, a shoe store to buy a new pair of sneakers. Uh, I remember a woman who said, the woman in our church who saw that my hair was looking pretty ragged because I'd never had a professional haircut and she made sure I, I got one. Um, 
I'll never forget the people who would bring bags of groceries to our door when our cupboards were empty. Um, it was those acts of kindness uh, that really made, I believe, made it possible for me to be sitting here talking to you today and made it possible for Convoy of Hope. Um, one of the lines I, I like to use is that I, I believe that God took my father's mangled automobile and he transformed it into a fleet of convoy trucks. Love that. Love that. So uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, I, I, I'm going to let you just kind of give your best shot as far as the listener goes, as uh, how they can get involved, any ask that you would have for them, uh, you know, where they can find out the whole, give them whatever you got. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I really encourage people to, um, to give first to their local church. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're looking to get involved in some kind of compassion work, um, start first with your local church. Uh, I, you know, churches have many, many ministries, and they're looking for people who will raise their hands and volunteer and say, I want to be a part of that. Uh, pastor, uh, sign me up. Uh, so I really encourage people to look at their local church because that's going to have a lasting effect. With Convoy of Hope, uh, you know, you can go to convoyofhope.org uh, and it'll list all the ministries that we're involved in and it gives people um, ways that they can get engaged and be involved. So uh, convoyofhope.org. Very good. Uh, well, I appreciate your time today. I thank you for uh, investing in us. Uh, thank you for all that you do for the body of Christ and what Convoy is doing. I know uh, personally our home church, uh, multiple, we've had the, uh, the big gathering. We've had, we had the recent, uh, uh, recently we had the back ends of trucks uh, or <laughs> trunks right. open. So uh, thank you for the, uh, that. And uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be praying for the next, 10 million, right? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. And, and thank you for your ministry of the podcast. It's a tremendous ministry to people. Well, there you have it. I hope that conversation was an encouragement to you to allow God to work in you and through you at a whole new level. If you're looking for the show notes to the resources we talked about, you can go over to ChristConnection.cc slash podcast. Again, that's ChristConnection.cc slash podcast. If you're new to the show, would you take a moment and subscribe wherever you're listening to? we got great conversations ahead. Maybe go back and listen to some of the previous conversations that, that might be an encouragement to you as well. We got uh, getting a larger and larger uh, kind of resource to you uh, that you can binge listen to. Uh, so that'd be the place to start. Uh, if you're new to the show, subscribe. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, would you take a moment and just rate and review the show? Uh, uh, rate it so other people can find it and review so that we kind of kind of know what you're enjoying, what you're not enjoying, and we can continue to grow and be a blessing to you more and more. Now, before you go, let me just take just a moment to pray for you and bless you as you go on your way. Lord, I pray for the listener. I pray that you would encourage their soul. I pray that as they've listened to this conversation, you've spoken to them. Now, I pray that you'd seal your work in them, and they would have that next action that you would call them to do. It be a blessing in their life today. May your favor rest upon them. We thank you for your love for us, Jesus. In your name, amen. Again, I thank you for taking the time to listen. May God bless you today. 
And until next time, God bless.